you, but we have an important projection to make. NBC News at this hour is 8, 11 p.m. on the East Coast. Polls have been closed for 11 and a half minutes. And NBC News can now project that the winner of the New Hampshire Republican primary is Donald Trump. Earlier, the projection had been that it was too early to call, but that Trump was in the lead. Uh, 11 minutes after poll closing, Trump has been projected the winner. Steve, it does. Uh, forgive me for interrupting you there, but that's the only reason I would. Um, that does. I mean, it seemed like all the everything that you were coming up with when you were t when you're talking about those those benchmark numbers you had in mind for Nikki Haley. That was about her pulling out a win and not hitting those benchmarks in in town after town after town. Pretty much all telling that same story. Yeah, exactly. And, and so now I think really the question for, for Haley becomes you guys have started talking about this. It's that what can she take and say, it's not a win, but it's progress. It gets me to South Carolina. What? And I don't know, to my eyes, it's at the very minimum, she wants to keep this in single digits. Right. And so right now you see Trump with a margin of eight points right there. And again, Nashua, you know, almost 100,000 people in Nashua. She could win Nashua. Uh, you know, I think yeah, even on a bad night here, she'd probably break even in Nashua. So she could get some substantial votes out of there. We were talking about the Connecticut River Valley. There are some, you know, some decent sized places on here where I think she's going to run up a lot of the vote. The question is what she gains in those places. And there's a, a fair number of them population wise. What she gains is it going to be offset by what we've been showing you in places like Claremont, what we've been showing you in places like Littleton, in Hillsborough, in Antrim. Is it going to be offset? Because, again, those all really start to add up here. They're not individually huge. You see only about you know 600 votes or so, but there's a lot of them around the state. Here's a small one, Milton, New Hampshire. Again, I'll just I'll give you a sense here of what we thought the number Haley needed to get here uh, to be competitive statewide. Yeah, we thought she needed 35, 36 percent. She's not quite at 30 percent. So you just continue to see that pattern. And if it falls if she's falling further than this in a lot of these small towns and it's getting, you know, Claremont's a small city, but she's double digit short of her benchmark in Claremont. That's where you start to get in danger if you're her of this thing going into the high single. It is in the high single digits right now, but of actually hitting double digits. There are some bigger sized places to come to relative to, to this that are going to favor Trump. I see the city of Berlin up here in northern New Hampshire. We expect that to be a, a big win for Donald Trump just in terms of margin. We'll check in on Rochester again. Trump, uh, uh, two thirds of the vote here is close to and he's close to two thirds of the vote. And the big one, really, the big one left is what. And again, this is this is bad news for Haley. Uh, now you got two thirds of the vote in Manchester and she's fallen almost you know, 13 and a half points behind Donald Trump in Manchester. Um, I'm not sure which wards and precincts are still to come in Manchester, but if that remaining one third of the vote in Manchester sees Trump's lead expand even further, again, those votes add up real fast in a place that size. So, again, the big news is that NBC News has projected that the winner of the Democratic primary in New Hampshire is Joe Biden and the winner of the Republican primary in New Hampshire is Donald Trump. What that means is that all eyes now turn to Nikki Haley. How will she react to this loss? What will the margin be and how will she characterize the margin in terms of what it means for the prospects of her campaign going forward? Um, closest we can get to laying eyes on Nikki Haley right now is to lay
lay eyes on Ali Vitali, who is at Nikki Haley headquarters uh, in Concord, New Hampshire. Um, Ali, we've just had a call here from the NBC News decision desk uh, that Donald Trump has won in New Hampshire. Got to check in with you as to how that had that news is is or isn't being received in the room. Look, I gave up on candidate impressions a long time ago, Rachel, so I'm just going to give it to you straight reporter style. This is a room that's starting to fill in, that's starting to feel the excitement, despite the fact that there was big news of us calling this race for Trump. That was not the shocking thing that voters in here were waiting for tonight. Instead, there is still a hopeful and excited attitude here, in large part because the margins are just not what people expected them to be. I've run into several senior campaign advisors and allies tonight. Many of them are just walking around giving me the sign of crossing their fingers and hoping that those closer than expected margins are what sticks. Again, we'll look at a lot of the areas that Steve was talking about, but places like Exeter, where she campaigned in the waning days of this campaign, uh, Hollis, Lebanon, all of those are areas that I've been told to expect to keep a close eye on. As far as what's going on in the room here, you can see that it started to fill in, but you can also see that on stage behind me, they're starting to check the podium. We've got people on stage. They're filling in, and my sources in the campaign tell me soon, however ominous or non-precise of an expectation that is for you guys there in the studio. But until then, they're going to try to keep high hopes in here as they wait to see these results come in. I do think we can read into the fact that Nikki Haley could speak earlier in the night than other than as opposed to waiting for more of these results to come in. Speaking early, I'm, I'm expecting her anyway to declare a victory that at least allows them to push ahead because as we were talking about at the end of your last hour, that was really the only thing that they wanted to prove that they could do tonight. They wanted to prove that they could make a go of it in a one-on-one race with Donald Trump. They want to argue that her trajectory over the course of the last year has been the only person to challenge Trump who's seen their stock rise in the eyes of the electorate as opposed to all of these other rivals, the so-called fellas, as Haley would often call them, who have dropped out and now turned to endorse the former president. That's a big current for her to fight against, but it's one that we're watching Haley and her campaign continue to push against as they continue to be defiance, I think, is the best word that I can use to describe my conversations with this group of people who feel like they are fighting the establishment here. Even if we don't agree that Trump is establishment or that Haley doesn't qualify as that, they are trying to cast Haley as the outsider here. Perhaps the ultimate irony going against someone like Donald Trump, who rode a wave of outsider status into the presidency in 2016. Ali, watching, uh, watching the room, hearing you talk, hearing you describe what uh, you've been told, uh, it seems clear, uh, if nothing else, that we're going to hear soon from Nikki Haley. Uh, and so I have a feeling we're going to uh, be back with you sooner rather than later. We'll take her as soon as, uh, as, soon as she hits the podium. Thank yeah. you, Ali. At Nikki Haley Campaign Headquarters in Concord, New Hampshire. Now let's zip over to Nashua, New Hampshire, to another campaign headquarters where NBC News correspondent Vaughn Hilliard uh, is with the Trump campaign at their HQ. Vaughn. Uh, let me ask how how things are in that room, whether there's been any response uh, to the NBC News projection and, and how things seem tonight. Just about three minutes ago, Rachel, they made the call here inside of the room and it was met by cheers. Of course, though, this is the expectation at this point and what the folks in this room, as well as the surrogates who are here, everybody from Vivek Ramaswamy to Carrie Lake to George Santos, 
all wanted the primary to come to an end tonight. And for Donald Trump, over the course of the last several days, he has continually up on stage made the statement that the Republican Party you should unite, should unite its resources around taking on Joe Ron, Biden I'm here. Sorry. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have to cut you off. I hate doing that. But Nikki Haley is just starting her remarks and we're going to take them. We'll be back with you, Vaughn, at Trump, pan- Trump campaign headquarters. Here's Nikki Haley live from her headquarters in Concord, New Hampshire tonight. the support and a great night here tonight. Thank you so much. I want to first say thank you to my husband, who I know is watching right now. I love you. We're excited to have you. Thank you. I want to thank my kids who are here, Rena and Naylan and Josh, who have really kind of stepped up and um, just giving me the support I need. You know, you, you really pull on your family when something like this happens. And um, I am incredibly blessed by their support. I have my parents at home. And I will always say that the way they raised me to know that we lived in the best country in the world, but to also know that the best way you appreciate your blessings is to give back. Thank you, Mom and Dad. I love you so much. <laughs> to my siblings, to my in-laws, um, to everybody back at home, to Vicki for helping me take care of Mom and Dad. Thank you for that. You know, I will tell you, it has been, it feels like it's been a lifetime, but it has been almost a year that we've been campaigning in New Hampshire. Touching every hand, um, answering every question, being the last person to leave. And we had um, the most amazing thing happen is the second that we got the endorsement from Governor Chris Sununu. I mean, a true governor that doesn't stand behind a podium. He shows up at a diner. He shows up at the brewery. He loves the people of New Hampshire. He has been with me every single day at every single event. Chris, I couldn't have done it without you. And I want to thank someone who was with me on day one. He's a patriot. He's a hardcore conservative, and he is my friend, General Don Baldick and Sharon. Thank you so, so much. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it, and I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. (laughs) 
This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. At one point in this campaign, there were 14 of us running. And we were at 2% in the polls. Well, I'm a fighter. And I'm scrappy. And now we're the last one standing next to Donald Trump. And today we got close to half of the vote. We still have a ways to go, but we keep moving up. For a lot of people, politics is way too personal. It's not personal for me. I voted for Trump twice. I was proud to serve America in his cabinet. I agree with many of his policies. I decided to run because I'm worried about the future of our country and because it's time to put the negativity and chaos behind us. We have an economy that's crushing middle-class Americans. We have a border that is totally open and dangerous, creating a disaster in our country. Unbelievable! We have, school, we have schools that are failing too many of our children, and we have a world on fire with a war in Europe and the Middle East and a huge and growing threat from China. And then you look at Washington, D.C. We have a Congress that fights about everything and accomplishes nothing. And we have Joe Biden in the White House making one bad decision after another. When he's making any decisions at all. Our country's in a real mess. is, who's going to fix it? With Donald Trump, Republicans have lost almost every competitive election. We lost the Senate. We lost the House. We lost the White House. We lost in 2018. We lost in 2020. And we lost in 2022. The worst kept secret in politics is how badly the Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. They know Trump is the only Republican in the country who Joe Biden can defeat. You can't fix you can't fix the mess if you don't win an election. A Trump nomination is a Biden win 
and a Kamala Harris presidency. I defeat Biden handily. With Donald Trump, you have one bout of chaos after another. This court case, that controversy, this tweet, that senior moment. You can't fix Joe Biden's chaos with Republican chaos. The other day, Donald Trump accused me of not providing security at the Capitol on January 6th. Now, I've long called for mental competency tests for politicians over the age of 75. Trump claims he'd do better than me in one of those tests. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. But if he thinks that, then he should have no problem standing on a debate stage with me. Americans do not want a rematch between Biden and Trump. The first party to retire its 80-year-old candidate is going to be the party that wins this election. And I think it should be the Republicans that win this election. So our fight is not over because we have a country to save. In the, in the next two months, millions of voters in over 20 states will have their say. We should honor them and allow them to vote. And guess what? In the next two months, Joe Biden isn't gonna get any younger or any better. We'll have all the time we need to defeat Joe Biden. When we get to South Carolina, Donald Trump's gonna have a harder time falsely attacking me. The great people of South Carolina know I cut their taxes. They know, they know I signed the toughest illegal immigration bill in the country. They know we passed voter ID and tort reform and ethics reform, and they know we moved 35,000 people from welfare to work. Every time I've run for office in South Carolina, I've beaten the political establishment. They're lined up against me again. That's no surprise. But South Carolina voters don't want a coronation. They want an election. And we're gonna give them one.
because we are just getting started. Thank you for the energy. Nikki Haley with an energized speech to her campaign headquarters in Concord, New Hampshire tonight. She congratulated former President Donald Trump on his victory in New Hampshire. She said he earned it. She said the political class says it is over. The crowd then screamed, it's not over. Nikki Haley then said, it isn't over. New Hampshire is first in the nation, not last in the nation. It is not over. There are dozens of states to go. She then went on to give her sort of standard stump speech against both President Trump, excuse me, President Biden and former President Trump. But notably, she says uh, she's looking forward to the contest moving next to her uh, home state of South Carolina. And she says that if it takes a few months, takes a couple of months for the Republicans to pick their nominee, that they will still have, in her words, plenty of time to take on Joe Biden. Um, thereafter. Now, uh, when Nikki Haley began her remarks, we are speaking with Von Hilliard, who is uh, in uh, at, at Donald Trump's campaign headquarters um, in New Hampshire. Von, I'm sorry to have had to step on you. I hate doing that. Uh, you were giving us, before Nikki Haley started her remarks there, you were giving us a sense of uh, what's happening in the room there at Trump HQ and, and what you're hearing from the campaign. Right, Rachel, at this point, we're waiting for Donald Trump now to take the stage now that Nikki Haley has given her remarks here. For Donald Trump and his campaign, they have maintained that a win would be a win here, but they clearly wanted to end this tonight. Donald Trump on stage at his closing primary eve rally in Laconia, New Hampshire, saying that he sought to end this Republican primary the, today so that they could focus the party's resources around beating Joe Biden in November. Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, Doug Burgum, all former rivals joined him on stage last night. And this was a moment that the campaign wanted to avoid here. And it is clear that Nikki Haley does not intend to go anywhere. But when you look at the calendar, this is where Trump senior advisors have consistently told me these last days is that they feel like they are in good shape. If you fast forward to Nevada, there is a primary on February 6th, but no delegates are actually coming out of that primary. Nikki's Haley's name will be on that primary ballot. But because of some party rules in that state, the only delegate that will be awarded out of Nevada come from the Nevada caucus two days later on February 8th. And Donald Trump is participating in the caucus, not Nikki Haley. So he is going to win those delegates out of Nevada. Then you fast forward to South Carolina. When we're talking about those independent voters, that anti-Trump, even Republican resistance, this is a moment where when you look at South Carolina, yes, the polling numbers are not great. She has a month long to make inroads. But that is the state where Joe Biden and the Democrats have focused their attention on turning out Democratic primary voters for the first time to come take part in the Democratic primary because unaffiliated voters and Democratic voters could take part in the Republican primary in South Carolina on February 23rd if they so choose to. But the Democrats are telling their voters to go take part and vote for Joe Biden. And so that is where you look at the map here. Come Super Tuesday on March 5th, another state, California. If Donald Trump gets 50 percent or more of the votes in the state of California, he wins all of the delegates out 
out of California because of new GOP rules in that state. California is also a closed primary, meaning no independents can go and vote in the Republican primary. You also have the state of Florida. It's also a closed primary as well. This is where the map becomes complicated. And I was right here in New Hampshire eight years ago, Rachel, when at the time I was covering Ted Cruz's campaign. And we heard time and again that South Carolina would be the southern wall for him. But what happened? Donald Trump survived with a uh, surprise with the evangelicals. He got the endorsement of Jerry Falwell Jr. He won big and overwhelmingly throughout the South was able to win states like Alabama and South Carolina and send a message that the Republican Party was much greater than the northeastern part of the state or northeastern part of the country, but that he had mobilized a movement around the country. And that is what Nikki Haley is going to be up against here, because there is questions around that energy among independent voters and whether they were going to be uh, inspired to come out. A woman, you know, she told me yesterday at a, or I should say two days ago over the weekend at a Nikki Haley event when she walked out, she goes, I guess I'll vote for Nikki Haley because she's the only alternative at this point. What Nikki Haley now has the opportunity to do, though, is work on inspiring an anti-Trump movement. And if these results are closer than expected here, this would be a signal that this is not only Donald Trump's Republican Party at this point, but there is a faction of it stemming from the Liz Cheney's, from the Bob Corker's, the Jeff Flakes, that there is a, a surge that could potentially challenge him and his grip hold on this Republican Party. Because this, this summer at the convention, Rachel, is not a likely place in which they would be able to unseat him because of the loyalty of these delegates. So this is really a last gasp opportunity over the month ahead. And we could expect a great amount of resources going behind Nikki Haley to challenge Donald Trump in his attempt for this third nomination. Vaughn, let, let me ask you about um, one of the charges that Nikki Haley is increasingly making about Donald Trump. And she really hit this quite hard tonight in her remarks from her campaign headquarters uh, in Concord. She um, referenced uh, senior moments. She talked about um, her demand that candidates over the age of 75, which would include Donald Trump, should have a mental fitness test. She talked about his confusion on the stump recently. Um, I know from reporting about his last rally that he did in Laconia, New Hampshire, um, yesterday that there was, again, a moment of him appearing to, I mean, best case scenario, maybe lost his place in the teleprompter. Worst case scenario, seemed to be slurring, seemed to not know what he was talking about, ended up sort of spitting up a kind of gobbledygook of words that nobody knew, except that it involved something about the death penalty. Though That attack from Nikki Haley um, obviously is meant from her to land on both Joe Biden Biden and on Donald Trump, but she's really hammering it now when it comes to Trump and his mental fitness and his age and his um, essentially mental stamina. How's the Trump campaign handling that criticism from her? Donald Trump, he doesn't run away from it. Uh, number one, Rachel, almost every speech over the last days is Nikki Haley, his focus on his mental fitness. He has gone back to talking about the fact that he has passed two cognitive tests, including one from the former White House doctor, Ronnie Jackson, who, of course, is a MAGA loyalist who is currently serving in Congress. But for Donald Trump, uh, this is, uh, you know, he's sort of all but brought this upon himself. You know, Don Jr., just before Donald Trump took the stage last night, was calling Joe Biden a Roomba and mocking Joe Biden's mental fitness here. And so this is a moment in which clearly the uh, uh, target has been put on Donald Trump's back by Nikki Haley. The issue is 
over the course of her 11 months of campaigning, she did not uh, attack Donald Trump's mental fitness. Literally just one month ago, in an interview, she explicitly said that she believed that he had the cognitive ability to serve as president again. And so the question is, can she change course like she did over the last week and hammer that home? It's not clear, but now that she can tie these two together, over the last 11 months, she has consistently, Rachel, said that it would be a President Kamala Harris, not a President Biden, that the country would have. And so clearly she has made the decision to tie these two individuals, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, together in her quest to try to differentiate uh, herself and her generation from the potential uh, uh, to 80 and nearly 80-year-olds that could be running against each other in November. Vaughn Hilliard for us in Nashua at Trump campaign headquarters. Vaughn, I know we'll be back with you. We're waiting uh, at this point to see if the candidate himself is going to make remarks there. We appreciate it, Vaughn. Uh, we will be back with you. We are joined now on set here by our colleagues Stephanie Rule and Alex Wagner. Alex, uh, you get first word responding to this news that Trump has has won the New Hampshire primary, and we saw a very defiant speech there from Nikki Haley saying, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I believe Trump is the first Republican candidate since 1976 to win both Iowa and New Hampshire in an open campaign. That's right, since Gerald Ford, that's right. It is a big victory for him. Uh, I was struck by Nikki Haley saying he earned it. He, I mean, I guess it's your, what is your definition of earn? (laughs) This is someone who's spent more time in courtrooms in the last few weeks and months than he has campaigning in New Hampshire. It has been a presidential campaign cycle unlike any other. Um, You know, Nikki Haley said she's a fighter, that she's scrappy. She's going back to her home turf of South Carolina. But, you know, Rachel, you've seen this you've seen this state play out in previous presidential races. It is bare knuckle brawling in South Carolina. This is the state that had the whisper campaign against John McCain and his supposedly illegitimate black daughter. This is Strom Thurmond territory and Lee Atwater. I mean, Donald Trump has already started going for the jugular with the birtherism stuff and Nikki Haley. I mean, it is going to be a bruising next month for this woman who very clearly did not want to talk about being the daughter of immigrants, did not want to talk about being the governor that took the Confederate flag down from the state capitol in the wake of the Mother Emanuel shooting. I mean, this is all stuff that I think for the general election could be, you know, important data points for Nikki Haley, but in a in a in a primary process that, that where nativism and xenophobia and latent, if not explicit racism, has proven to be mana, uh, I, you know, I think it's going to get really, really ugly. Yeah. And she has a case to make, as she made in her speech tonight, we don't need to decide this right away. It can take a couple of months. We'll still have plenty of time to take on Joe Biden. What is unsaid there is we don't have to decide this right away. Our guy might be going to prison. It'd be good if there was somebody else running against him still at that point. So we still had an opportunity to choose somebody else before the convention. But she's not wrong when she says Trump earned it. It doesn't matter how we feel or what he's done or the amount of charges against him. In the last three presidential elections, Republicans have chosen Donald Trump as their guy. Before I came to this, I I was actually at an event tonight, not a political event, but it was filled with big Nikki Haley New York donors. They're giving her lots and they'll continue to give her more. But the issue is they are these classic George Bush Republicans waiting for their moment to come back. And they're not. Right. When you look at how Nikki Haley performed tonight, Republicans didn't vote for her. These George Bush Republicans might have money, but they're not Republican voters. And it was independents that helped her tonight. And that's the issue for Joe Biden to focus on his messaging. And when she says things like the economy is crushing the middle class, 
Everyone here at this table knows that's not a fact. The challenge is for Joe Biden to convince Americans of that. But you know what? Like, can I just give this sort of the donors who are in la la land and who are dreaming that they can go back to a George W. Bush. Can I just give you the case that they are probably making to each other? Yes. And that you're probably hearing. I, I don't know if you're hearing it, but yes. you can tell me if I'm wrong. The case they're going to make is 2008. And the case is about delegates. Right. So if you go back, let's go back to May of 2008. It is in the time machine in May of 2008. What was the fight in the DNC? It was about Michigan and Florida having gone early and having lost all of their delegates because they went out of turn. Hillary Clinton then gets to May and Barack Obama is real, 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 real close to clinching the magic number of delegates. Right. So they have this huge fight over whether they get half delegates or whole delegates. Why was that a thing? Proportionality. The case that can be made, if you are in, if you want to live on the planet that says that you can take down Donald Trump with a former South Carolina governor who, as Lawrence O'Donnell said, has governing experience. She was at the United Nations. Say what you want about her politics, but she seems normal to most people and who would probably be a fairly strong general election candidate. The case you make is that she can thug it out. If she wants to, through July, even losing South Carolina, which is a winner-take-all state, because other than South Carolina, which is real weird, ironically unfortunate for her, most of these states are proportional. So she's not going to get any delegates out of Nevada because she's not in the caucus. She's on the primary ballot. So that's those 26 delegates. Trump's going to get those. The 50 delegates in South Carolina, I mean, this is a highly evangelical state. She could lose her own state. But a whole lot of these other states, let's talk about Michigan, let's talk about Wisconsin, let's talk about Missouri, let's talk about North Dakota, let's talk about the Virgin Islands, four little delegates. Mm -hmm. The way that proportionality works in American politics is that you can incrementally creep your way to the nomination. And what Barack Obama did in 2008 is he overtook Hillary Clinton through a series of unfortunate events, including Michigan and Florida, losing half their delegates. They wound up making a compromise. They got half of them back. But he delegate creeped his way in caucuses, in small states, getting proportional stuff in Texas. Now, I'm not saying she could actually get it. But if you're the donor class that wants Trump gone, you tell her, fuck it out for a few months. I'm going to put some more money in your bank account, because if he gets convicted, you do want to have a candidate with or enough delegates to go yeah. Yeah. Actually, that yeah. can be on the floor and have but a floor fight with Donald Trump. That's why isn't 2008. Right. Because the case that you just made, I can guarantee none of those donors who I spoke to tonight know a single bit of that. But they have <laughs> big, deep pockets, and they know Donald Trump Sounds is like facing donor. 91 charges. But don't they want somebody at the convention the that could actually stay? I mean, you need somebody that's got delegates in hand yeah. at the convention. Yeah. In both cases, the same. In the same day, it's the it's the rapture. The rapture, <laughs> rapture option, right? The there needs to still be somebody standing who's not going to get raptured yes. in case there's a rapture. <laughs> Which like, that's Ron basically the plan. wanted to be, yeah. but he was such a poor candidate who blew all of his money on private no. jets. Yeah. And yeah. There's no reason for Nikki Haley to get out of the race ever unless by the time we get to the election or by the time we get to the general election, Donald Trump has been acquitted in all of his cases. (laughs) I mean, other than that happening, there's no reason for her to ever leave. Right. Although usually what ends up happening is money dries up, right? So money dries up and also political pressure is a real thing. I mean, she's a member of the Republican Party, presumably wants a future in the Republican Party and usually what ends up happening is that people come and start to send some message. And it's not like the Trump people are like going to be subtle about that pressure. The pressure is going to be unbelievably intense. But it's going to be unbelievable unbelievably intense starting tonight. I yeah, mean, you totally. know what I mean? Like, it's not going to get... I think you're right. I just think... fire hose like, versus fire hose. I agree. I just think it's... Look, her, clearly she came out of the gate tonight to speak early to send one message, which is I'm not getting out. Yeah. Right? Like, right. everything about that speech was to the donors yeah. in that room, to everyone else, was, no, this is not like... 
I'm fighting. And in fact, I think she turned up the attacks. There's a little bit of like burning the ships. Yeah. Because she turned up the attacks on Trump more than I've seen her in what will be her probably biggest national audience than she ever has, again, to reaffirm she's not getting out tomorrow. But she's Chris, not going to come yeah, back but, tomorrow. But, and I think and the reason for that is she has to right now, if you're her, A, she's the last option left. Yeah. B, she wants to preserve maximum options for herself. And C, to the point that we're all making, like the rapture might come, right? right. People are not total idiots. <laughs> right. and, she, and they and understand she, that there's this huge sort of Damocles hanging over the entire and by proceedings. The, way, the argument that she's making, as much as it may infuriate the Biden team is the age argument actually has legs. Of course it does. Including yes. with some voters that are on his side. So all she has to do is continue to be younger than them, which she doesn't wait. She's hitting Trump now on his in, his loopy loopy loop stuff. He's saying that makes it sound like he ain't all there. She doesn't the face is, the same exact political pressures of other politicians. Here's the other reason why. Do you remember what happened when she was done being the U.N. ambassador? She got paid. She got paid from corporate America. She got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to give speeches. I think she joined Boeing's board. And that's who she's being courted by right now. Ron DeSantis does, didn't have an exit strategy to join a corporate board. I assure you of that. Did she? <laughs> she's yeah. now operating in a whole new universe of yeah. people that are saying, don't worry yeah, about the pressure, right. girl. Yeah. Hang tight. That's exactly. Let's fair bring point. in former RNC chairman Michael Steele. Uh, he's now the co-host of The Weekend right here on MSNBC. Uh, but for our purposes right here, we need to talk to you because you understand the kind of pressure that can be put on a Republican candidate who may want to stay in forever, uh, who nevertheless is, nevertheless is getting pushed by some donors one way and getting pushed by the rest of the party the other way. What do you think of this discussion we're having about Nikki Haley's options, Michael? Well, I, I think it's a spot on in a number of, of, of ways. And it's really interesting because Alex and Joy kind of hit that sweet spot uh, in, in their, in their comments about where Nikki is right now. And the reality is a, a very straight up one for her. Um, she did well. Okay. South Carolina's ahead. You are 30 to 40 points down, depending on the polls in your home state. Your two state U.S. senators have uh, endorsed the other guy. Uh, your congresswoman and, and other members of your congressional dele delegation have come out and endorsed the other guy. Uh, the state apparatus is forming around the other guy. So, that begins to bubble up a great deal of pressure as you were talking about. It's not just about how you perform in New Hampshire. It's how you're going to do in the upcoming states. To the conversation around proportionality, it's important to understand that up until March 15th in our Republican primaries, you can, you can get a proportional amount of that vote. Um, Super Tuesday is a part of that. So what you then have is that pressure sort of galvanizing, starting with South Carolina, and then ending up on Super Tuesday among three interest groups here. The first, of course, are uh, those who love Nikki. Nikki, stay in. We love you. Love you. You're doing fine. Don't worry. You can increment your way through this process. Then there's the donor class who are like, OK, uh, I think I want to write you another check. Give me another reason. OK, you did OK in New Hampshire. I'll give you another check. That goes to a lot of what Stephanie was just saying. But then the third piece, which is the more important one, is the rank and file members of the Republican Party. We know them affectionately as the base. They're not voting for Nikki. They don't want Nikki. 
They've made it very clear now in two states, even one that is supposedly where Democrats and independents could have a strong hand in the outcome. Well, we see what that strong hand meant, it, you know, brought out for us, you know, an early call for Donald Trump. The base is lined up exactly where the base wants to be. And Nikki's problem is going to be she doesn't have a game plan or a strategy to crack that base. All of the nice hot rhetoric about Donald Trump's age tonight and now swinging at him. Where was that six weeks ago, Mm -hmm. six months ago? Where where was all that vim and vigor to take on Donald Trump when you were asked directly about his mental acuity and you demurred? Right. So you're not credible now. And you're not credible for the reason that the base looks at you and go, "Okay, is that how you really feel? Are you lying to us now or were you lying to us then? And so the trust factor for her becomes a real problem, which, again, feel uh, pushes into that pressure. The donors get nervous, Rachel. They're going to get nervous. You're going to see them start getting nervous pretty soon. And that's that's going to be a different kind of pressure. The political establishment. Um, is not lined up with her by, as I just mentioned, her her uh, delegation and her U.S. senators uh, standing with Trump. And that base vote is just not going to reorient itself. There's what give me the number that she could come out of New Hampshire with that's going to move 20, 30 points in her home state of South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't think anybody thinks she's going to. Yeah. She can't come, win. She can't, can't win, win in, in, in yeah. South Carolina. So the question is. How does she move forward and how does she resist the pressure to leave? And and my question, Michael, I mean, she has had a lot of money in this race, even though she hasn't been contending with Trump one for one, vote Mm -hmm. for vote. How come she's never run an anti-Trump ad? You know, I mean, we've seen her start to criticize Trump in her speeches and in her remarks. But has there been a Nikki Haley negative Trump ad? And will that start and will that make a difference? Uh, At this point, it, 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 it really doesn't. Because the narratives are set in. Seventy-five percent of the electorate in South Carolina is evangelical. Uh, What kind of ad do you run that's that's going to move the needle off of them? And then when you look at the states that make up Super Tuesday, um, even there, even in places like Michigan, um, where she could reasonably do well, there's a very strong core of Republican support. So she run at, at this stage, given the success that Donald Trump has had in this primary season, you didn't go after him when he in that first debate where he didn't show up. Right. You sort of softballed it. And then you raised your hand and said, if he's a convicted felon, I'll support him. <laughs> OK. <laughs> OK. <laughs> oh, Ooh, God, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? Right. So. So now what do you do? How do you make the case to, to the base of the party? What do you think the RNC is going to do? I mean, there, have you taken a poll of the 168 that make up the, the national committee? 75% Trump. So yeah. it, there are a lot of walls that have been built up and they weren't in the She and her team weren't in the process of taking those bricks out of the wall as they were trying to build it. And so now she finds herself in a very difficult race um, one that, if she played it a little bit different in the beginning, could be very different for her on, on this back end. Yeah, and the question is whether she will restart, whether she will reset, restart, and take a different tack from here on out. Former RNC Chairman Michael Steele, our beloved colleague, thank you for your time this evening. Good to have you here. 
All right. This hour, Nikki Haley has congratulated Donald Trump on his victory in New Hampshire. And she also promised to keep going with her campaign, as we have been discussing. Uh, Steve Karnacki is going to take a look at the road ahead from here, starting with uh, how big or how small a victory Trump has just won in New Hampshire tonight. Interesting poll, interesting results coming in to give us a sense of Trump's win tonight. That's after the break. Stay with us. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. is a Biden win and a Kamala Harris presidency. Nikki Haley giving remarks to her campaign headquarters tonight in New Hampshire after losing in the New Hampshire primary to Donald Trump. Now, how much has she lost by? What is the margin going to look like here? What will that do in terms of bragging rights and the case that she's making, that she's not getting out of the race, no matter what the political class says. Let's go to Steve Kornacki for some of the metrics on this. Steve, what's it looking like in terms of the overall performance here? Yeah, as you can see, we're close to 30 percent of the vote in statewide now, and Trump's lead is now 12 and a half points with what's been counted. And a couple keys to this here. First of all, we can all of Concord is in. We showed you that earlier. These are the three biggest cities. Concord's number three. Manchester's number one. And you can see here now we're up to 80 percent in Manchester in the margin for Trump. It's been climbing a little bit each time we've looked at sitting at 15 points in the state's largest city. And again, this was one where if this was going to be basically a toss up statewide, it would be a toss up in Manchester. So I think that's a a gauge here of, you know, Haley's night here in terms of how how far she's falling short of of, of, uh, making this a a real game statewide. She probably need to be about 49 percent here. She's missing by seven. Trump's going seven points over. That works in, in both directions. Nashua, which closed at eight, is the second largest city. And this is one on paper that Haley wants to be winning. And she really wants to be winning it right now to get that Trump margin as low as she can get it. And 60 percent in, she's losing it by seven points to Donald Trump. Now, there is more to come. We'll see. We've seen, you know, know, there can be variance between these precincts and these wards. So we'll see in the rest of Nashua which parts come in and if it elevates her. But she really needs to make up ground in population centers like Nashua right now to cut this lead down. A big, big source of votes for Haley, we we can almost guarantee, still to be reported out, is going to be right here in Hanover, a Dartmouth College, Donald Trump's worst uh, town in 2016. It, it won't be a huge number of votes, but Haley, we're expecting, is going to get the vast, vast majority of those. That'll help her cause. So will the city of Lebanon, south of it. We expect she'll do very, very well there. We're also still waiting on Durham College Town University in New Hampshire. Uh, for that matter, we're waiting on 
Exeter. These are places where Haley can run up numbers, and she needs to run up numbers because the problem for Haley, we started to see this early in the night, and I can tell you it has only continued, and it is a continuation of what we saw in Iowa. When you get away from these population centers, when you get away from some of these suburban areas, places with higher concentrations of college degrees, uh, places with higher median incomes, she's significantly, significantly underperforming what we thought she needed to do to be in the game statewide. So again, you add that together right now, um, and it is adding up to a 13-point Trump lead. And I don't think it's at all impossible from this vantage point. I mean, we will see. But if you look at these numbers, it's not impossible. Trump's going to still win this thing by more than 10 points, by double digits. Yeah. And in that sense, if, if that were to happen, and that's, that's an if, I'm just saying that is a possibility right now. You think back to what Haley just did. I mean, that was the Bill Clinton strategy in 92. The exit poll showed a toss-up in 92. The early return showed a toss-up. Clinton ran downstairs, called himself the comeback kid, and then six hours later, they counted up the outlying areas, and he lost by almost 10 points in 1992. But nobody remembered that. They remembered early in the night. So I think that might have been the Haley playbook. We'll see, again, these final returns. There is a chance she can keep this in single digits, maybe on the higher end. Uh, but I think what really stands out here and what really tells a story, and I think might explain some of that rural and small-town weakness that she's having, is this. We, we showed this at the beginning of the night. There is a very large number, a large number of independents, and even, relatively speaking, Democrats. But look at this breakdown. Okay, first of all, this is the current breakdown. 49% of the electorate calls themselves Republicans, 45% independent, 6% Democratic. Again, these are numbers you're not going to see in other states. But check this out. Among Republicans, Donald Trump is beating Nikki Haley by essentially 50 yeah. <laughs> points, 74 to 25. Among independent voters, Haley is beating Trump by 24 points, 61 to 37. That is a swing of 73 points between how Donald Trump is doing with Republicans and how he's doing with independents. And take it one step further among Democrats, the 6% who call themselves Democrats, it is Haley 84 and Trump 6%. Wow. So that is, you know, to, to rely on that kind of a, it, I can't imagine, put it this way, the previous record that I'm aware of for a difference between the independent vote and the Republican vote in the New Hampshire primary was back in 2000. John McCain won the independent vote by 42. George W. Bush won the Republican vote by one. That's a 43-point swing. Now we're talking a 73-point wow. swing. Yeah. So the idea that this is a great result for Haley that gives her new life and everything, the core problem of her candidacy has been appeal within the Republican yes. Party. And she's running at 25 percent. That core problem has not been addressed at all here in New Hampshire. She's just benefiting from a uniquely, massively high number of non-Republicans. And to take this one step further, if we start talking about the states that are coming next, obviously, South Carolina is the next state where they're both going to be on the ballot. So South Carolina does not have party registration. OK, so you ask everybody, you know, you, you, anybody can participate. Te theoretically, every Democrat in the state, if they don't vote in the Democratic primary, could go and vote in the Republican primary. So it's, it's a it's a you know fair game for everybody to participate. But we always ask in the exit poll in South Carolina, what do you think of yourself as? Do you think of yourself as a Republican, as an independent, as a Democrat? Now, the highest non-Republican mix we've seen in a South Carolina primary was 40 percent. That was 31 percent independent and 9 percent self-identified Democrat. That was in 2000 
when John McCain won New Hampshire with all of those independents, okay, and John McCain still lost South Carolina by 12 points to George W. Bush. If you applied the results I just showed you, you know, Trump's strength with Republicans, Haley's with independents and with Democrats, if you applied them to that 2000 demographic mix in South Carolina, the most non-Republican they've ever had, Trump would win the state by 15 points. Right. So that is, again, Haley, this is, We'll see how strong the result ends up being for her. Now we're at 30% and it's 13 points. But just thinking of South Carolina and then thinking beyond, because what happens beyond South Carolina, when you get to Super Tuesday and the big massive states, they're not necessarily or on paper winner take all, but in a two person race, which is what this is, they functionally are. Because those states, a lot of them have rules that basically say every congressional district, there's three delegates. If you get 50%, you win them all. Well, in a two-person race, you can basically get 50. Yes. Someone's going to get 50%. And so if Trump is winning these states even by small margins, he could very easily sweep the congressional districts. And then they have the same rule statewide, hit 50% statewide, get all the delegates. So functionally, you know, a lot of these states, you know, Michigan is uh, most of the votes are given out. If you get 50% in a congressional district, you win them all. It's about three quarters of the, of the uh, delegates in Michigan. California, you hit 50% statewide, you take them all. Texas, 50% in a congressional district, you take them all. 50% statewide for the at-large, you take them all. Uh, Alabama, it, it go on and on. It is designed, the Republican process, for a quick resolution. And it, the added thing this year is that the Trump forces, since 2020, have really taken control of some of these state party organizations and in some cases changed the rules. California, which I just cited, that's a rule change. That was a rule change implemented by the Trump for, uh, forces with, the with this exact scenario in mind, where if you get to California and it's still a game, how do you get that, how do you get that big pot of delegates? Well, you change it and you just need 50% plus one statewide, you get them all. Yeah. And that's why that that's why it helps to have an experienced political operation who is working the delegate game um, from the very beginning before yeah. even the first votes are cast. I, I know this is going to seem a little bit strange, but if it's possible, control room, can we look at the Democratic primary results? Mm. <laughs> we had a projection as soon as the polls closed in New Hampshire that President Joe Biden would win. The unusual thing here. Well, there's a number of unusual things. One is that there aren't 10 delegates <laughs> that are being awarded on the basis of these results in the New Hampshire Democratic primary. Uh, this is a symbolic primary only. Um, but the other part of it that's important here is that Joe Biden wasn't on the ballot. And so for him to win, for him to even compete in New Hampshire, he had to be written in by people who were not seeing his name on a sheet of paper that had 21 other, 21, I think, other people um, listed on it, including two people who campaigned really hard in New Hampshire. Um, Mr. Phillips, his name is Dean, Dean. Um, and Ms. Williamson, her name is Marianne. Marianne. Yes, nailed it. Um, you can see the results there. Again, this is only 12% in uh, with a lot of write-in vote. You would expect that this would take some, um, some time to get there, but uh, no question as to whether or not President Joe Biden has won this purely meaningless beauty contest uh, in the state of New Hampshire. Let's bring in our colleague, uh, Jen Psaki, who knows, former pres who knows President Biden, uh, who is a uh, former <laughs> very important part of the Biden administration and its White House communications team. Uh, Jen is in Manchester this evening in New Hampshire. Um, Jen, are, are we hearing anything interesting or substantive from President Biden's side tonight? 
I mean, we are. I mean, there are statements flying out from the Biden team tonight. None of them have anything to do with the outcome in New Hampshire tonight. I'm sure they're relieved uh, of what the outcome was on some level, but they're ready to move forward, basically. So, Rachel, a couple statements, one from the campaign out tonight, which indicates to me that they are moving to the general election, whether Nikki Haley is staying in or not. They are moving on to the race against hmm. Donald Trump. And let me read you just two of the key sentences that stuck out to me. The first is tonight's results confirm Donald Trump has all but locked up the GOP nomination and the election denying anti-freedom MAGA movement has completed its takeover of the Republican Party. Lots of messaging in there, obviously, but they're saying we're running against him. The last line of the statement is one thing is increasingly clear today. Donald Trump is headed straight into a general election matchup where he'll face the only person to have ever beaten him at the ballot box. Joe Biden. So the race is on for them. They're moving to the general election, uh, whether or not Haley stays in. The other statement that came out from the White House tonight, Rachel, was from the president. And this was about news that leaked earlier this evening. My hunch here is this was not their intention for this news to get out today, which is that Jen O'Malley, Dylan and Mike Donilon, two very close advisors to the president within the inner circle, are moving from the White House to Delaware to help play senior roles on the campaign. So lots of news, lots of reaction, none involving the New Hampshire outcome. <laughs> well, but involving the New Hampshire outcome on the Republican side. I mean, Jen, that's it's, true. I mean, we're, we're, we're very focused tonight on Nikki Haley's prospects and how uh, tight or, or distant the margin is going to be between her and Donald Trump. Um, Steve Kornacki just laid out to us some very brutal numbers in terms of how poorly mm. she did with self-identified Republicans who are voting in the Republican yes. primary. And so the, the places she's getting numbers from tonight in New Hampshire are from um, people who self-identify as Democrats and people who self-identify identify as independents. And those, of course, are the people who the Biden campaign is trying to mobilize in the general election to support President Biden's reelection. So, I mean, it's it's just New Hampshire. It's just this electorate. It's just this one contest. But here's everybody who's sort of Biden inclined or potentially Biden curious <laughs> saying like, yeah, we're going to get out and vote for Nikki Haley, even though it's awkward and we need to change our registration right. and do all this stuff. And it's not really our peeps. And here's the Biden campaign saying Nikki Haley is nothing. We are pretending she is not there. We know we are running against Trump. Nikki Haley's prospects mean nothing to us. So there is a little bit of a cross purpose here for people who like Joe Biden and people who are trying to elect Joe Biden at his campaign HQ. Yes. And look, those Biden curious, Haley curious, Biden curious people are key to them. I mean, if you look at these numbers that Steve was just going through, one of the things that I bet is sticking out to the Biden campaign is that number of Democrats who turned out because the last percentage was three percent the last time, if I'm getting my numbers correct here. So it means it's more, much more than that. And what that means, Rachel, to them is that people were motivated yes. to go out and participate in this to vote against Donald Trump. Yep. That is a good sign for the Biden team if, because the concern has been people aren't excited. They're not energized. That's a good thing. We obviously don't know the entire breakdown of the independents, but those are also um, potential voters for Joe Biden. I mean, they look a lot at this number that was in The Washington Post um, earlier this week. It's about 81 percent, I believe, of Haley supporters or people who are supporting Haley in that in that poll who think that Biden was legitimately elected. Now, the bar is low. I think we can all agree. But to them, those are all people who might be Biden voters in a general election. So they do look at these numbers and the outcome of the Republican primary as as telling them they're learning something from it as well. And I'm sure they'll be digging through the data in the coming days as well. 
Jen, very, very, very good point in terms of how the Democrats have to look at these results from New Hampshire and, and who can who can cross over to being a targetable Biden general election voter who might have turned out for Nikki Haley today. It's not a it's not a single set, right? It's an overlapping set. This thing happened, I think it was a week and a half ago, whenever Asa Hutchinson withdrew from the campaign. Oh, I know. He was still in the campaign. And the DNC released this kind of snarky statement saying, oh, we had no idea you were even still in the campaign. I'm channeling their snark. And the White House immediately basically rescinded in official in an inofficial way, if you will, what the DNC had said. Um, Corrine Jean-Pierre was out there saying, you know, effectively, we don't condone this level of snark. I think, one, that's sort of principle in politics, but it's also a very canny strategy here. If you're voting for Asa Hutchinson, you you're sure vo- might be Biden curious. <laughs> you are, you are voting I, against Trump. Anybody who's against yes. Trump, we will take you. Popular front. And I think it's not a coincidence that you're not hearing a lot about Nikki Haley and her voters and her lack of support or whatever, because as you and Jen just, just discussed, and those are the Biden curious voters. Also, Rachel, we make fun of kind of like what a nothing burger the Biden result is. But there was some concern that Dean Phillips, who invested five million dollars in New Hampshire, was maybe going to beat Biden or come really close to him. And as much as the White House will say we're not worried about a 30 party challenge, the optics of the sitting president getting a run for his money in New Hampshire, even if he wasn't on the ballot yeah. by yeah. a by a gelato baron named Dean Phillips. <laughs> There was a gelato baron named Check Notes, Dean Phillips. You know, Ro Khanna was there. Jamie Raskin was up there. Maggie Hassan, the senator. They were all quietly doing the work to convince people that Joe Biden was worth writing in. And somebody did an AI like like attack on the Biden campaign. Right. If this was unimportant, someone saw fit to actually send out fake robocalls of Joe Biden's Biden's voice. Joe Biden's voice. And we have no idea who did that. No idea who did. So there was yeah, there was a little bit of drama. But I think to the point that you're making a little bit off of that point. There's a good reason why the Biden team is probably glad Nikki Haley doesn't get out, too, which is the longer she stays in, the more she triggers Donald Trump. And the more she triggers just with her physical presence, Donald Trump, the more he says the kinds of things that remind people why they'd rather have Joe Biden, mm. because he's going to keep birthering her. He's going to keep digging into the very kinds of like antics that have made him unacceptable to but some. If, independent but then voters. why are they putting out these statements tonight d- downplaying the effect of her results? Because they're not running against her. They definitely don't want to run against a, a much younger candidate who's making that very pointed argument about right. him on an age yes. sort of area. So they don't want to run against her. They don't want to recognize her as a can as a competitor but i promise you they don't mind if she stays the in. thing here's the thing every election night in the trump era basically the same trends pertain and again tonight like haley is now the proxy for the anti-trump vote like where is she doing well well she's overperforming in places with high degrees of college uh, attainment and in denser areas right yeah. th- th- those have been when you control for other demographics those are and she's clobbering him where Dartmouth is, of course. And she's getting clobbered in Berlin, you know, in, in the north, in these industrial places and rural places. We have seen this time and time again. Here's the thing about this. Donald Trump is a uniquely polarizing figure in American politics and has been from the beginning. And sometimes in certain contexts, like a Republican primary, that polarization cleaves such that he wins more voters off the polarization than he loses on it. At a national level, it has always lost him more voters than it's gained, which is why he lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton, but pulled off the Electoral College trade. In certain states, it's worked for him, like in Missouri in the 2018 Senate race, where his polarization absolutely got Josh Hawley elected. The math worked in Missouri. It 
didn't work at the national level in 2020. It didn't work at a congressional level in 2022. It's back to working in a Republican primary. But the same dynamic is there, and the math is clear as day, staring you in the face when you look at that board there, when he's losing independence by 40 points and yeah. winning Republicans <laughs> by 50. Yeah. It's the same it's the math. Same. But Chris, yeah. it's, that math is also why the Biden White House is happy to let Nikki Haley stay in this fight. Sure. Let Donald Trump sink his money into her, sink his attacks against her, because they look at the math and say, at the end of the day, she can stay in this for a while, but we're still going to be running against, against Donald Trump. Trump. Let right. her bruise him. Let her empty his bank account. And then we'll take a look at him this summer. Let me let me put up one of the exit polls we haven't talked about yet. Do you guys have this fitness exit poll? Oh, yeah. Can we put this up there? And this is comparing between Iowa and New Hampshire. The question here is, if Trump is convicted, is he fit to be president? Iowa electorate and the Iowa Republican caucuses last week, 65 percent of them said if Trump is convicted, he's still fit to be president. But nearly a third, 31 percent said if he's convicted, he is not fit to be president. I mean, that is a that is a that is an Iowa caucus that Donald Trump won by 30 points. And still nearly a third of the people who turned out in that caucus said if he's convicted, uh, uh-uh, I'm out. Look at New Hampshire tonight. Forty four percent of yeah. New Hampshire voters saying if he is convicted, I am out. Yeah. And he I mean, he may be winning by double digits in New Hampshire and it may be a, and it may be something that makes him feel warm and toasty inside because this had a lot of, you know, independence and even Democratic leaning independence in the electorate. But if 44 percent of the people mm-hmm. who turned out in an electorate, maybe they did give him a double digit lead. Are gonna are, are out if he gets convicted. Yes, there you go. But then it means the rapture sense? option needs yes. to be alive. Yes. Yes. The very last and, and why a Nikki Haley or even a Ron DeSantis didn't want to come straight for Trump and attack him because if they do, that's attacking his voters. So if she just mildly attacks him, she's not kicking his voters out of bed. But if he gets nabbed by the government, she can say like, "Remember, it's <laughs> Remember? me. That wasn't that yeah. me." Right. I never raised the strategy. How do you do that but... in a two-person race? You know, yeah. I mean. It's, the pressure is going to be extreme. He's making right. it easy for her when he mistakes her for Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, so you're, you're talking about it from Nikki Haley's vantage point. I think you're you're not really uh, the MAGA base, which already doesn't like Nikki Haley and everything she represents, from her heritage to her corporate ties to her sort of rhino esque um, impression that she's left. I think on some of the field is going to hate her even more if she is the thing standing between Donald Trump and the nomination. It's and that starting. level of rage is is going to go through the roof. I mean, it I, will. I, I, but it, it, the level of rage, the problem is it's a ping pong, right? It's attached to a cord that keeps hitting Donald Trump in the face, to, to Chris's <laughs> point, is that every time he hits her, he hits her in a way that just happens to remind whatever independents are left out there that are that, that can't decide. It, it, he is constantly reminding people of why he is unacceptable to so many people. Can, can can I just say one last thing? Yeah. Just the, the end of this race was the most perfect distillation of the Donald Trump versus the rest of the field, which is that he closed on two messages. This like disgusting birtherism and racist nickname about her. Mm. And she wants to cut Social Security in Iowa. <laughs> and it was just like, that, you could not produce a more succinct articulation of why Donald Trump has wrenched this party away from the people who used to run it. Right. That's because what they want. Those two things. Cutting Social Security. <laughs> like, let's go like a poll. And we go to Paul Ryan. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Let's like, go no. to this. All right. With, with this win uh, in New Hampshire tonight, um, Donald Trump takes a major step toward becoming the Republican nominee for president, of course. When he won last week in Iowa... 
His victory speech was a sort of politically sanitized version of the way he has otherwise been campaigning. The, the Iowa speech was lots of thank yous and praise for other Republicans, a notable lack of, Chris, what you were just describing in terms of the racist yep. and birtherist attacks on Nikki Haley, and a notable lack in the Iowa victory speech of, like, you know, promises to build camps to hold millions of people or to, to root out his internal enemies like vermin. He didn't do that. And... Seeing him dial it back like that in Iowa, uh, that's an important part of understanding the way this candidate and the Republican Party are going to try to win the election. So uh, this is a decision that we revisit constantly and that we we will revisit constantly. But tonight uh, we're expecting Trump to speak momentarily. We are going to go to those remarks uh, to see how he uses this moment, at least at first, we'll see how it goes. Again, this is a decision that um, is one that we consider to be an open-ended live decision. Um, let's go to Trump headquarters right now in Nashua, New Hampshire. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Whoa. Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now. Three. Three. We win it every time. We win the primary. We win the generals. We've won it. And it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. If you remember in 2016, we came here and we needed that win. And we won by 21 points. And it was great. And uh, today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely (laughs) when it was at seven. But now I just walked up and it's at 14. But but she ran up when it was seven. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing So there we go. Um, So this is part of the issue here. Uh, So Donald Trump saying that he won New Hampshire, um, not only in previous primaries, but that he won New Hampshire in the general election um, is not true. Donald Trump did, to his credit, um, in 2016, win the New Hampshire Republican primary. He did, in 2020, win the New Hampshire Republican primary. But both in 2016, when he was competing against Hillary Clinton in the general election, he narrowly lost New Hampshire. Hampshire in the general election. And then in 2020, when he was competing against Joe Biden in the general election, he lost New Hampshire, New Hampshire by a good, fair chunk of vote. So uh, the former president has opened his remarks tonight once again by proclaiming um, falsehoods about previous elections. This is what makes it hard to take him, uh, his pronouncements live. We'll try again, though. Here we go. You have the very, the now very unpopular governor of this state. This guy, he's got to be on something. I've never seen anybody with energy. He's like uh, hopscotch. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching this guy. And two weeks ago, he said, we're going to win. We're going to win in the last side. We're going to win. About three days ago, he started saying, well, we want to do well. That's a big difference. But I walked out just now, we're 14 points up. And I don't know what it's going to be. But when she was up here, it was like six or seven. And, you know, with like 7% of the vote counted. Now, uh, let, let me just tell you, we, uh, 
We had an unbelievable week last week in Iowa. We set a record. It was the best in the history of the caucus, in the history. And uh, I remember I sort of had the same feeling. I'm up and I'm watching. And I said, she's taking a victory lap. And we, we beat her so badly. She was, but Ron beat her also. You know, Ron came in second and he left. She came in third and she's still hanging around. The other thing, she only got 25% of the Republican votes. I don't know if you saw that. Tremendous numbers of independents came out because in this state, because you have a governor that doesn't frankly know what the hell he's doing in this state, in the Republican primary, they accept Democrats to vote. In fact, I think they had 4,000 Democrats, Democrats before October 6th. They already voted. Now, they're only voting because they want to make me look as bad as possible. Because if you remember, we won in 2016. And if you really remember, and if you want to play it straight, we also won in 2020. Yeah. By more. And we did much better in 2020 than we did in 2016. But as they said, we lost by a whisker, just by a whisker. No, no, no. But we can't let that happen. You know, you have to have people that speak up. I said, I can go up and I can say to everybody, oh, thank you for the victory. It's wonderful. It's what or I can go up and say, who the hell was the imposter that went up on the stage before and like claimed a victory? She did very poorly, actually. She had to win. The governor said she's going to win. She's going to win. She's going to win. Then she she failed badly. Now, I have here. If he promises to do, to do it in a minute or less, but the only person more angry than, let's say me, but I don't get too angry, I get even. The only person, the only person, because he was there, and he did fantastically well, by the way, and then he endorsed me. And we don't have to talk about Tim Scott, who, by the way, just got engaged, we have to tell you. And that's more important than all of this stuff. But a man that got to know her very well is Vivek. I said, Vivek. I said, Vivek, go up and say a few words about it. He has to do it in one minute or less. And then we're going to just say, we had one hell of a night tonight. And one other thing before Vivek comes. Do you see that, Paul? We're going to put it up. We have beaten Biden. You could almost say, who can't? Who the hell can't? The man can't put two sentences together. He can't find the stairs off a stage. Who can't? But Vivek, one minute or less. Go do it, Vivek. What we saw tonight giving Donald Trump is giving an, an, an unusual victory speech um, in New Hampshire um, in which... Uh, he initially, at the outset of his remarks, said that he had won New Hampshire both not only previous primaries, but had won in previous general elections. He lost both in 2016 and in 2020 in the New Hampshire uh, general election contests. Um, he then reiterated that and then handed over his victory speech to Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, after saying we don't need to talk about Tim Scott, and by the way, he got engaged, and that's more important than any of this, and then we did one. So He seemed to suggest also that the governor of New Hampshire is on some sort of drug. Yes. He said, I don't know what he's on. Baseless. The governor. Uh, 
which, yeah. which I think is utterly baseless, just to be clear. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but he, I just want to be clear, like yeah. you said this. He, so he, he said it casually, we won the primaries and we won the general. He came back to linger on it. Yeah. Acknowledging at one point, like, they said we lost by a whisper. But really, we, we won, and we won in 2016, and we won by a bigger amount in 2020. And again, like, there are misstatements. There are, uh, you know, uh, have-truths, politicians tell. But, like, the fundamental core lie that is the core of the whole democratic crisis the country faces right now revolves around this just simple matter of history. You see it reflected in two-thirds of Iowa primary voters saying that Joe Biden was not legitimately elected, one half of those voters in New Hampshire. Like, So this is just in a different category, and, I would submit. Well, let, and let's just, I mean, let's just be really clear about this, right? So Trump saying tonight, after having won the New Hampshire primary, which he has done twice before, Having then gone on to say, that's not enough. You can't just claim credit. You have to claim credit. You have to falsify the election yeah. results in the twice, in the two times that you lost the state is a form of like reality bullying yes. in a way. And yes. he's done this around Iowa as well. So for example, he doesn't have bragging rights about winning the Iowa caucuses. He lost the Iowa caucuses in 2016 to Ted Cruz. But after winning the Iowa caucuses this time, he said, oh, it's really great to have won it for three times in a row. And he knows that it's not true. And he knows that everybody listening to him knows that it's not true. It's like his insistence on the date of the Spanish flu epidemic or his insistence on what the hurricane track was going to be that he had to draw in with a Sharpie. It's 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 an exercise in bending reality to his will and insisting that others follow. It's an exercise in making people who love him denounce reality right. and endorse his view instead as a form of fealty, as a form of loyalty. And it's a way of breaking the truth yes. in our country and showing that his most loyal people will do that in a performative and effacing way. It's called well, religious the, faith. The, the psychiatrist who wrote the book about him, literally, uh, all agreed that this is a very serious, lifelong problem. He's now in his like 70th year of never being satisfied with reality, even on the days when he wins, uh, because life can never, ever give him what he wants, his insecurity being so profoundly deep and, and permanent. The victory speech, by the way, in political campaigns in the primary season is always supposed to be about Winning more voters. Yes, uniting the party. In the next election, whether that's the general election or the next state. You are supposed to reach out to voters who expressed a different feeling tonight. Say, reach out to the voters who voted for Haley. You don't have to specify that that's what you're doing. But every politician prior to Donald Trump has found a way to do that. He never has. And, and just, I think it's because you set it up with the last time, which is that, the, you know, throughout these however many years we are now into this, uh, n nine years, I suppose, right? 2015 is when he sort of starts. Uh, you know, there have always been these moments where there's like, he, he's able to sort of perform some version of like conventional campaigning. He stays on script and people say, oh, if only that, you know, the, it's like a joke. It's a trope, right? Like right. if only that Donald Trump. And so like last time in Iowa, it was a more conventional, it was gracious, it was thank you. So I'm glad that we saw that because that is that's the sort of the, this sort of petulant incoherence, which is really kind of the no, it's really the rhetorical register that he is at at all times. I mean, and particularly in the last three days on the trail. I mean, I don't know if people have been seeing the clips, but it is a constant degree of essentially petulant incoherence well, um, is that has been the the, the the sort of general vibe much different than the rare moment of something approaching composure. Slow, slow that down, though. Petulant incoherence. Yes. When you say incoherence, what do you mean? 
Well, he, you know, he he every I saw him speak earlier about gas prices and in his he talked about gas prices and he said they're higher than they've ever been. You know, they were <laughs> they were they were two dollars when I left. OK, so they're not higher than they've ever been. They're below three dollars. It's just reality. They were two dollars during covid when no one was on the road. OK, so uh, but, you know, they're going to they're throwing everything they have it. So it's coming. It's coming down now. But if man, if he gets in, then never know what's going to happen with the gas. So. <laughs> So, again, this is just the sort of it's like it's the salesman patois. It's the it's the sort of pitter patter. But there has this has been the sort of general rhetorical mode. And people have noted it. Nikki Haley in her speech tonight talking about the fact that he was sort of ranting about uh, January 6th and said that Nikki Haley was the one who had destroyed some evidence or had uh, not destroyed evidence, had, had not allowed them to, to bring the National not Guard in when he meant yeah. it was actually Nancy Pelosi. Um, that general aggrieved but hard to follow vibe has been the candidate Trump of of this campaign. But it's also yeah. been the Donald Trump of his life. I mean, if you look yeah, at his biography, yes. right, the one religion that his family was ever associated with was Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking. And it is part of, I mean, if you read Mary Trump's biography and others about the way he grew up, it is this notion that to lose is to be a loser. Yes. Mm. And to lose is actually the greatest sin. It's the one thing you can't do that his parent, his father, his parents would never allow you to get away with, you know? And you really see it as he's gotten older that it, it is now enhanced by um, this kind of tick the things that trigger him, he can't stop ranting about them. And sometimes he substitutes the thing that triggers him most for the thing he's talking about. Yes, so right. when Barack Obama is triggering him, he'll say Barack Obama when he means Joe Biden, yeah. right? If he's triggered by Nikki Haley, he says Nikki Haley when he means Nancy yeah. Pelosi. Well, so he's super triggered, but he also is, you know, acclimatized and was raised by this sort of Norman Vincent Peely. And if you look back at like videos of this guy back in the, when he was a speaker, it was all about bending reality to your will. Because she has been invoked, we must summon her. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us now, I'm very, very pleased to say, is Nancy Pelosi, the former House Speaker, the current Speaker Emerita. Madam Speaker, we have so much to ask you. We're so glad you could be here with us tonight. My pleasure. Thank you. You have glad been invoked. Be with you. You have been invoked in this current discussion that we are having, I'm sorry to say, uh, because the former president in campaigning in New Hampshire um, did repeatedly try to attack you over the response to the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building. Um, his opponent, Nikki Haley, has made a, a lot of hay out of the fact that in trying to attack you, he kept using her name instead. We've heard what Nikki Haley thought about that, um, that confusion, that mistake by, by Donald Trump. But I, I, I don't know what you thought about it. And I'm curious. Well, let me just say I'm not going to spend too much time on Donald Trump's uh, cognitive disorders. But I, what I am going to say, and I want to, in friendship, say to Chris he tried to say that Nikki Haley did not allow the National Guard to come, but it was Nancy Pelosi. It wasn't nobody. It was Joe. It was Donald Trump. He knows and you know that Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer and I begged for hours for the National Guard to come. He knows that we don't have the party to bring the National Guard. The president does. Sad to say for the District of Columbia, because every other state, the governor has that power. So I'm more concerned about what he was trying to accuse her right. of mm -hmm. uh, than, again, 
his many misrepresentations. But don't spend so much time on him. We don't agonize about him. We organize. And Joe Biden is our nominee, and he's going to be, again, the he and Kamala Harris are again going to be president and vice president of the United States. It's now the time. The intensity has arrived. The election year is here. As you see, some uh, folks have come over from the White House, uh, Jill O'Malley Dillon and Mike Donilon, two stars of the political arena in our country, joining Julie. Uh, Julie is wonderful. Julie Chavez Rodriguez. She's done a great job as the campaign manager. Uh, she has the biggest record of money raised for a presidential campaign. More importantly, she's mobilizing at the grassroots level. We organize, and they will come now together with the message to go forward. Uh, so uh, the message, so when he lies, I mean, he's a constant liar, but when he lies, sometimes you have to listen to him. Hmm. For example, he lied and said, oh, Obamacare sucks. I mean, to use his kind of language, Obamacare sucks. Listen to when he says that. Of course, it doesn't. Affordable Care Act cures. So in the campaign, people have to understand that their well-being is on the ballot, whether it's a woman's right to choose, which yesterday we observed the 51st anniversary of when that became uh, respected in our country until his judges pulled that down. And he brags about that. He says he's going to terminate the Affordable Care Act. And what does that mean to you? If you have a pre-existing condition, if you have a child in college, uh, after college who still needs health care, if you're a woman, being a woman is no longer a pre-existing condition. The list goes on and on about the benefits of the Affordable Care Act. So people have to understand, listen when he speaks, hmm. because he does not have your interest at heart, even though you may not, you know, I respect as you see your interest, but I make sure that you know how you are affected by some of what he says, whether it's guns, whether it's climate, whether it's a woman's right to choose, whether it's health care. You know, in 2018, people said to me, weren't you lucky that health care became the central issue of the campaign? And that's how you won 40 seats and win the House. I said, no, we weren't lucky. We made our own luck. So let's get on with it. Let's forget about him and his dysfunction and uh, understand that we have to Get out our vote. We have to mobilize on the ground. We have to message in the interest. As Lincoln said, public sentiment is everything. With it, you can accomplish almost anything. Without it, practically nothing. And we have to have the financial resources. Uh, and, and Joe Biden has proven that he can attract that message, mobilization, money. Joe Biden, great vision, great knowledge, great strategic thinker, great legislator and a person with a big heart and empathy for the American people. Speaker Pelosi, it's Alex Wagner. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, Hi, in Alex. How are you? In addition to abortion and the ACA, it seems like one of the issues that's very much front of mind with Republican voters tonight and those who may not be fans of Donald Trump is whether or not he's going to be convicted. I'll point you to some of the exit polling we have tonight. 47 percent of Republican New Hampshire primary voters say they would not consider Donald Trump fit to be president if he were convicted of a crime. Last week, 31 percent of Iowa caucus goers said effectively the same. As of this evening, he's almost certainly going to be the nominee. 
I, I do have to ask you, should the American people know whether they are potentially voting for a convicted felon? You you established the well, January 6th no. committee in June, I believe, of 2021. It held its first public hearing in July of 2021. Do you take any issue, given that history and the fact that you're an American voter, with the timeline that the Department of Justice has pursued on this, both in terms of the investigation and the prosecution of Donald Trump? Well, let me say that no one in our country is above the law. And that certainly applies to someone who wants to be president of the United States. And many of the um, transgressions that the president has engaged in uh, are about his integrity. But it's also about our security. And but, but people, his base doesn't seem to care about some of that in those states and in any event. But the fact is they have to know what it means in their lives that they're no longer going to have affordable care, that there will be a national ban on access to an abortion. So the election's about freedom, democracy, yes, writ large, but it's also about your personal freedom in your lives. And all the things that Joe Biden did in the camp in his presidency, with the help of Democrats in the House and Senate, I might add, and modestly, were great things to create jobs, 26 but how many mil million more jobs? 16 million jobs created. The market hit 38,000. Now it's down to 37.9 or something today, but record high. What that means to people's 401ks, the issue about, uh, again, child uh, child tax or Biden child tax credit, what that means to women to be in the workplace, actually dads too, but in the workplace. So we have to carefully and with great, um, shall we say, um, prioritizing, make sure people understand. While they may want to vote for a convicted felon, do they want to vote for somebody who's going to take away your health care, especially if you have a pre-existing condition or a child with one? Or do you want to make sure that your daughter, wife, sister, someone in your family has no freedom to make a judgment about her reproductive health? Do you want to vote for somebody who ignores that in the country, 80-some percent of American people think there should be background checks uh, for uh, purchasing of, of firearms to reduce the violence in our country. And young people care so much about the climate issue, which this person doesn't—I don't, I don't even have to say understands it, much less understands or is solely in the pocket of the fossil fuel industry, which is probably blocking his understanding of the fate of our planet. So the fate of our democracy, the fate of our planet, the personal decisions for people at their kitchen table. How are they going to make ends meet? We reduce the cost of prescription drugs. Insulin, in, our, in the IRA, in the IRA bill, yeah. insulin, before the bill, was five to $600 a month mm -hmm. for seniors on Medicare, and now it's $35 a month. Mm -hmm. They want to change that back because they're in the pocket of fossil fuel industry, they're yes. in the pocket of pharma, they're in the pocket of the gun industry. So people have to, we have to have clarity, and again, prioritizing what, what and that's what we did in 2020, mm -hmm. when, 22, when people said, you're going to lose 30, 40 seats. We said, we're right. not. I don't know why the people that sit in Washington or New York and say these things when they're not in the hinterlands, but into the fight, on the ground, yes. mobilizing and fighting. We knew that gun violence protection, women's right to choose climate and democracy 
and healthcare were very important. Uh, and the contrast, we had to make the contrast. This is what your member of Congress has voted yes. for. This is what our candidate is for. And that's why we kept the minimum to five seats difference rather than 30 or 40, as was predicted. So, again, this is, we just we have to get out there and get the job done. And we have a mobilization. But I just say this one more thing. When we <coughs> saved the Affordable Care Act, remember when? Yes. He was going to, uh, you know, repeal and replace, but whatever the replace was, nobody ever knew. We had 10,000 events throughout the country where people came forward and told their stories. Mm -hmm. Nothing more eloquent than that. Certainly more eloquent than the misrepresentation of the president, former president, oh, well, former occupant of the White House, (laughs) when he says Obamacare sucks. Let's have a fight about that. It, I, I feel like Democrats have their marching orders if they have tuned into this program this evening. Speaker Emerita, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi, a treat to have you on in this sort of critical moment for the presidential race. Thanks for your time tonight. Yeah. Rachel. You. Nancy Pelosi. Just win, saying, baby. Just win, baby. <laughs> Just win, baby. Just win, baby. Um, saying that she does not want to talk about his cognitive disorders and she does not want to talk about him and his dysfunctions. Yes. And instead laying out what it is she does want to talk about. Veiled. Well, sort of. Um, we just heard Nancy Pelosi there saying the election is about democracy and freedom writ large. Also about freedom and individual lives. President Biden and Vice President Harris um, have been making that exact same case. And they did so today at a campaign stop in Virginia. We've got some sound from that queued up for you. Uh, plus more about what happened tonight in New Hampshire. Um, and what's about to happen in this campaign in the road ahead. Stay with us. We'll be right back. to Nashua, New Hampshire, where our own Von Hilliard is at Trump campaign headquarters. Trump uh, gave his victory speech tonight. Um, We bowed out after he twice claimed to have won the New Hampshire uh, general election contest in 2016 and 2020, neither of which was true. Um, He also seemed to be handing the microphone off to other people, not himself. Um, Von, can you tell us uh, what we what we missed there uh, if, if we need to know? I think two key moments worth uh, taking in. Number one, there was a moment in which he started on about Nikki Haley, and he gave a forewarning about what is to come for her if she indeed stays in this race, as she indicated tonight. He said, quote, a little note to Nikki, she's not going to win. But if she did, she'd be under investigation by those people in five minutes for stuff, things she doesn't want to talk about. This takes me back again, yet again, to eight years ago. It was at this juncture when Donald Trump went on the attack against Ted Cruz, but using red herrings like that, calling into question Ted Cruz's marriage, calling into question whether his dad was a part of the JFK assassination. And here on stage tonight with only one rival left in this Nikki Haley, there goes Donald Trump on the stage today, throwing out this idea of stuff that would be investigated. And of course, the question would be what stuff Donald Trump doesn't actually have that stuff uh, to throw out there. The one other note that I would wanted to mention was you saw Tim Scott standing right there behind him, of course, endorsing him over the weekend here in New Hampshire. There was a moment in which Donald Trump, he referred to the South Carolina senator and said, quote, 
you must really hate her, referring to Nikki Haley, because she was the one that appointed him to the U.S. Senate. The room went quiet. Tim Scott just stood there in silence and smiled before taking a step forward to the microphone. And he responded, I just really love you. It was a very uncomfortable moment, but one in which we have seen Republican rivals continually bend the knee to Donald Trump and him use them as instruments and mock them in the loyalty that they have given here at such a crucial time as this for the Republican Party, Rachel. NBC's Juan Hilliard, thank you very much for that report. So uh, there we have it. Uh, that's what we miss when we cut away. Uh, does anyone here in that a case for not cutting away from that speech? <laughs> yeah, here, I would like that clip. Also, the humiliation is so naked at this point to ask Tim Scott to go up and directly sort of demean the person oh that gave him his Senate seat in 2012. Is just well, it, it also kind of raises the question. Has Trump run out of material? <laughs> you know, the, the victory speech doesn't have to be long. You know, solid eight minutes would be fine. Ten minutes would be fine. Two minutes would be fine. Sure. You did great. Oh, See you in South Carolina. We're going to kick back. speech yeah. was, was a tight, solid speech. He couldn't fill the time. He couldn't do it. That's what, what other reason would he turn to those people? Unless, unless he thought, you know, Vivek will do a more vicious attack than I will do, and I want him to do that. We haven't. We didn't see Vivek's speech, but I think the, remember when he was president. One of the things he loved to do was to force people to ritually praise him, yes. or to ritually humiliate them. <laughs> and I think that he saw this night as just a night to ritually yep. humiliate yes. people like Tim Scott. Maybe Vivek had to yes. get up there and grovel. Like literally, he just wants to see his former rivals yeah. grovel. He said. I mean, when he said, we're going to put one minute on the clock, it's like, yeah. I'm going to make sure that you know your, in, your, in place. your place. Yeah. But your point, and, and actually to sort of synthesize this with, with Nancy Pelosi, I mean, so there's a, a few different ways that uh, to think about this sort of upcoming general, if in fact he's the nominee, right? There's the legal troubles, um, uh, which are going to play out. Uh, we're still expecting word from the D.C. Circuit about the immunity. That could happen whenever. There is the the, the personal performance of Donald Trump, which people really don't like. I know, I know it's hard to like, beca because he's been around so long, it's hard to like get this into people's heads. But like that stuff doesn't play well. There's a reason he has high unfavorables. There's a reason that he's been a, a negatively polarizing figure and was not particularly politically successful in those elections in which he was associated. But then the third thing, and I think this is interesting in terms of Nancy Pelosi's strategy, is like he kind of wants to run a complete policy-free campaign. Mm-hmm. So you never know, like you would think to your point about the victory speech, it's like you come out and you hammer your themes. Like, what are they? What are you running on? Like the reason you come out is you're going to get some airtime and you could talk to voters. It's going to be an audience bigger than just the primary to be like, this is what I'm running on. I'm running against the trade deals or whatever. You know, and he had a few of those in 2016. There's not a lot there. Like, we don't, I don't know, like, what is Justice the, for the January 6th hostages, correct? Right? Like, you're going to try yes. to sell and that don't to America? Put me in jail. And don't, right. So that, and that is an immigration. I mean, border is the, the only policy area the Republican Party and Donald Trump will talk about, that they're focused on, that they want to talk about, is the border. Not even just immigration. It's the border, yes, more specifically. Right. Because once you even move outside of that, they don't really want to talk about no. anything having to do with immigration policy. Right. Once you move from that question... It is unbelievable how steeply that cliff drops off yeah. to talk about. And this is where I think Nancy Pelosi, who, who guided that strategy in 2018, which is very successful, was correct, which is like people do care that you're talking about their lives and things that may or may not affect them, whether you're going to take away their right to choose or their health care or whatever it is.